0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Simon Sweetman. Do you remember me? I remember you. It's been quite a few months, and I'm I'm sorry about that. Um, I just stopped doing the podcast really because of the pandemic, really because of the lockdown restrictions. I've had breaks before, and then I got used to I got used to not doing a podcast, and I didn't mind that. Um, But there's been little niggles. I've wanted to do it. I've had a couple of stories that have been sitting there, a couple of interviews that have been with me for months. And I think what I'm going to do now is just uh, put them up when I feel like it, Um, rather than doing one a week. I can't keep up with that anymore. And uh, we don't know where we're at with restrictions and people feeling comfortable about sitting in rooms. I'm pretty committed to the idea that I mostly want to do this face-to-face and in person. I don't really want to do phone calls and Zooms. I'll do them every now and then if it's the only way and it's worth it. Anyway, this is episode 274 and it is the first in about eight months. Um, it is the first one of 2022 and it is a conversation that was recorded, well, not quite a year ago, but I reckon I recorded this conversation in October of 2021. Uh, it's a returning guest, Megan Dunn. She's a Wellington writer um, and I spoke to her I think in 2018 about her first book tinderbox Um, this was a conversation where she returned to my house to talk about her then brand new book uh, things i learned in art school Uh, it's a wonderful book it's basically a memoir it's also a collection of essays i think it does the job of both and uh, we had a fun and fascinating chat it's always brilliant talking to megan i don't know her super well but after meeting her that first time a few years ago and obviously following her on social media. um, I would bump into her in the street. She lives in the, we live in the same neighborhood. So uh, we've got a lot of common interests and friends. So, you know, we've stopped and had a couple of brief chats in the street and uh, are aware of each other. So it was nice to catch up and nice to catch up on all of the work that she's doing and, and hear about the book. And I loved this book and I was thinking about this book recently and that's really what got me going, man, I have to publish that podcast i have to put it out there even though the publicity of that book is over um but maybe you're hearing this for the first time in, and and uh, hearing megan done for the first time so maybe that's going to get you um you know a new author to check out i'm going to include a link to the previous podcast chat with her because they are completely separate conversations uh, and i loved that chat as well um yeah i'll have some more updates hopefully in the coming weeks and months but um you can get this podcast in a couple of new places. You can get it on Amazon Music. You can get it via the Audible app. If you are a subscriber to Audible and you listen to their audiobooks and podcasts, you can search Sweetman Podcast and find it there. And it's available on my Substack uh, newsletter platform, which is uh, simonsweetman.substack.com. I love this conversation. Uh, I've missed putting these conversations out into the world. Um, and uh, it feels nice to be back, so I hope you like this. This is me talking once again with Megan Dunn. You've put all out there what you wanted out there anyway. Yeah. You haven't kept much of yourself. Yeah, are we on? Yeah, shit yeah. We've we're been on. on the whole time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're on. Are we on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting one. People have said, you know, you've yeah, people have commented. You've shown everything. Yet, in a way, I haven't. No. I mean, for instance, a boyfriend the other day, sent an ex-boyfriend sent me a Facebook message wanting to know, you know, how he'd been portrayed in the book, if he'd been mocked or ignored Mm. or what. And I was like, well, I hope it won't come as a disappointment, but a relief to know that you're not in it. (laughs) (laughs) And he was someone who I went out with for six months. But mysteriously, I just didn't actually have anything to say about that when I put together this outline. Mm. Um, Because I wrote an outline... I wrote the the wonderful structure that I've heard people say without, with a straight face of the beginning, middle, mm. or middle and end, mm. which is all just a big joke mm. about the fact that I've always found structure quite difficult, potentially, because I went to art school and was told to put the beginning at the end, the middle and the beginning and, you know, like, yeah, you yeah. mix it all up. Yeah. So this takes a broadly chronological approach. I lay out that beginning at the very outset with different tantalizing titles to help make me want to write it. Mm. And those were clustered around things and experiences that I somehow had something to say about. A few of them shifted and changed, but many of them didn't. And indeed, it doesn't absolutely cover everything that ever happened to me no. across all these years. It'd be bloody boring if it
0: did. <laughs> well, that's that's true. Um, but also, you're quite. I think the thing you have saved of yourself is you're quite protective of your um, very current stage in life and your own little family. They are alluded to rather than explored. In any huge way, right? Well, you've
1: gone right to the. You've cut right to the chase. <laughs> I want there. this to be a
0: short podcast because we've talked before. <laughs> because that
1: that is important. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that is a big. So difference. that's the. bit,
0: when I said you, you know, you you haven't saved much of yourself. You really have actually. Yeah, yeah. It's that great writer deception where you have offered up heaps. Yeah. But. People don't know how much you've saved of yourself.
1: Yeah, well, uh, uh, these are all recollections of things. Mm. Most of the book is me between the ages of about six or seven to 27 Mm. with Mm. one essay about my mother, which is obviously me much more recently.
0: Mm. Mm. But
1: most of it covers a stretch of time well past, Mm. well Mm. jogged into the past. Mm. And indeed, when um, Lana Lepizzi, the writer, interviewed me and we had a chat for Metro magazine... She'd say, she asked me the same question about what do you hold back or, and I had this reaction, which I think is a good one, of Rich, my partner, walking past me in our flat one night to go to the bathroom, and he looked at me and went, am I in the book? And I looked up and went, nah. And then he walked off. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot, like there is this whole moment of time which is really preserved yeah. and that's more in the now, and that would be much more complex um, to portray.
0: Yeah, it's funny though when you when you mean, <laughs> I was going to cut in before when you mentioned about the ex-boyfriend contacting you. You know, isn't that the funny thing about writing about your own life that you risk the two the two sort of damages you risk are mentioning someone or not mentioning them. Yes. And, and w- which is worse? You and you never know until, you know, I I had this with with my book of poems that came out last year. I sincerely didn't realize how much I'd talked about my father who's still alive and who I'm close with yeah um so not in a you know memorializing way or anything but but I didn't I sincerely did not realize how much he was in the book yeah. until I re- held a copy of it and I kind of bristled and went oh you know and then I went oh, I'll be fine he won't read it and um yeah he did read it but he hasn't talked to me about it (laughs) you know it's my mum said did he tell you that he read the book and I said no and she goes he did
1: and that's (laughs) it and it was like
0: whereas she read the book and said you know I liked it but she and she's in it too but I kind of went shit actually there's lots of stuff not just about me in that book that's about people I know
1: it is a very um complex um It's a complex form, isn't it? And it's not one I ever really expected to be in. Uh, Yet here I am. The key essays that talk at length about someone else, like Days and Nights Mm. of an Artist Run Space, which chronicles my friendship with David and Mm. the Artist Run Space we ran. The essays uh, about Yvonne... Um, the essay about my dad, all of the people who were written about at length, and um, nine months in a parlour called Belle de Jour. Mm. Holly, Holly read her essay. They all read their key essays. If right. they were mentioned at length in a way that. Um, Mm. Really took them on as subjects Otherwise there are other people Mainly whose names are changed That are, that are fleeting That yeah. skip into a sentence or two But they're not really manifested in any way As a, as a portrait uh, And so those people have not been consulted Mm, yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse. But I know what you mean. As, as as it quickened towards publication, I started to think, oh yes, some people will think this is a book it might be about them, and then they'll be disappointed that they're not in it.
0: Have you read the... Um... <laughs> The bad art friend essay that's been doing the rounds oh, this week, the New I, York Times
1: thing. I, I skipped over yeah. that. Um, it's it, very good. Yeah, it's an interesting d- dilemma.
0: It just sort of, to me, I mean, it's many things. It's a huge piece of writing and it's, mm. it's doing the rounds, so it takes a while to get through. But I think the main thing I took from it was, God, writers are a pack of thin-skinned, egocentric fuckwits. <laughs> you know, like, really, yeah. when it comes down to it. Because on both sides of that one, you've got these two people involved in that well there's a few periphery characters as always but the two main writers Mm. and one is basically saying you took an idea that happened to me and you turned it into your own fiction and you didn't credit me yeah but it's like we're always doing that picking up things from around and artists in general you pick up things from around the place and you morph them into your own you know into your own thing
1: I think it's a really tricky issue, which Mm. is why it's such an interesting piece. Mm. And it speaks to why we write, which is that it's hard to let go. Mm. And both of them, both of those writers are actually finding it hard to let go mm. as well. Mm, mm. But <laughs> I the, think it is complex because she yeah. did lift from oh, other sure. writers'
0: Facebook posts some,
1: some direct content.
0: And there's an amazing yeah. piece in it. Um, it's a tricky one. There's an amazing piece towards the end of it where um, the writer who has done the lifting, she just sort of positions something in such a way as to I, I i don't want to use the term playing the race card cuz uh, you know i don't oh, just say that yeah. but, she, but you could she just seemed a little more calculating than you, than the journalist who writes the story at first makes you think you know i think it's a really great deceptive piece of um, journalism mm. that brings the story together too like cuz you're just following it and going each new each second paragraph just reveals something Yes. To, to keep hooking you into this really long story.
1: Yes, it, yeah, it, yeah. yes, it does.
0: Yeah, so you weren't going to write this book. You came around here a couple of years ago, and I'm thinking like, because we don't really know each other that well. You came around here a couple of years ago, and I yeah. had never met you, mm. and we had a similar experience. Your book Tinderbox was about the book publishing trade but it was also about your time working in a bookstore Mm. and that I had worked in too I know and we sort of found that out in the borders borders, yeah that's right and but we didn't really work at that and we must have just missed each other yeah in that but we had similar you know I think I said to you at the time your book was mildly triggering for me but in a good way I liked it but it really brought back memories and you were already well known fairly well known for and well involved in your mermaid research at that point and i I haven't gone back and listened to that podcast but i did enjoy that conversation and i feel like somewhere near the end of it i said well you'll have to come back when you've written the mermaid book and you said i will and here you are with a different book Mm. that but that is directly um spawned from the mermaid book do you want to talk through i mean you've done this already but and you do it a little bit of the book but do you want to talk through what i'm Hinting around here, what what actually happened? So, how far did you get with the mermaid book?
1: Well, uh, in deep, (laughs) (laughs) up shit creek, without a paddle, perhaps, or the paddle was lost en route. Um, I published Tinderbox in late two thousand and seventeen, mm. and I probably spoke to you in two thousand and eighteen.
0: Right, right at the start of it. Yeah, yep. it
1: was a little book that I yes. had. Tinderbox was a little book that I had spent a long time writing in different installments before it was brought together into one crazy jazzy hole. Mm. And uh, by the time it was out, I was really ready to be writing something else. Which, I mean, maybe that's just the norm for creatives. Mm. We've always got our little beady eyes fastened on the next thing. Um, and I had had an experience where I'd stumbled on to, onto the lives and imagery of professional mermaids online. And then I'd just become completely hooked by mermaids and tinderbox had taught me that i might be a non-fiction writer although Mm. countless people called it a novel which i found hilarious (laughs) having tried to write a novel for years then to accept that i couldn't and was writing non-fiction and then i was told my non-fiction was a novel i mean what a process jesus (laughs) you can't make this shit up as they say so I was, uh, I was deep in interviewing mermaids, and that it had, had a long gestation in itself mm. i 'd been trying to write a fictional work about mermaids and thought, "Oh, well, what do mermaids do?" and that was always a point I was coming a cropper over. And so once I found this world of professional mermaids and had accepted that I might be a non-fiction writer, I began to immerse myself in interviewing mermaids. I find interviewing very addictive. Mm. I was very addicted to interviewing all of the mermaids, and I was trying to write bits of draft. I think I I had got some CNZ funding to write the mermaid project, and I was going at it you know, tooth and claw, or, um, you know, I was going at it as best I could, like, you know, like Ariel trying to brush her hair with a wonky fork, (laughs) but I didn't have the means or resource to be transcribing all of those interviews at the same time, Simon, so... Mm. I was uh, trying to mulch through too much research too quickly and, and yet writing because I knew I had a subject mm. that continues to fascinate people. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> um, my Great Mermaid Project continues to be the, the point that everyone wants to um, talk about first and foremost with this book
0: too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because, in this book too, but, isn't it? Like, yeah. So people who didn't know that, yeah. people that didn't read Tinderbox and that didn't hear you be interviewed or read you interviewed around that. Yeah, um, are, are are fascinated by it. I think, but in this book, yes, I that's p- right. Picked up on that from a couple of the interviews. You know, when you talked to Colin Peacock, for example, yes, he hadn't read Tinderbox, no, and, he hadn't. And, and openly talked about that. But he seemed flabbergasted by the mermaid.
1: Well, it is a, it, mermaids are often used as gimmicks, yes. and I think that's part of it too. They're yeah. used as an advertising hook, a gimmick. All of this sort of stuff is bound up, in it. I've worked with mermaid imagery a lot. I've written mm. poems about mermaids years ago. I've written, I've done all sorts mm. of stuff. And I was trying to bring it all together, but I was trying to bring it together at pace, convinced that it was somehow going to unlock me going up a level in my life um, that was going to make me more financially stable among Mm. other things. And then I got to a point where I was, uh, you know, all tangled up in my draft and I sent it to a couple of different um, people that were important my agent in London and um, my publisher here Claire Murdoch and there was a delay of a few months between both bits of feedback but there were but the feedback wasn't good. Um, And the feedback that was consistent from both of them was that it was when the story was more personal to me, that's what was working, and that I was the subject, was Mm. a common thread in both bits of feedback, which also had some differences to
0: them. Um, So another way of what they were really saying was we like you but not the mermaids
1: well i think though I, I, I think everyone likes mermaids i think claire murdoch is feeling demonized for not liking mermaids <laughs> it's not true claire likes mermaids as much as the next publisher yeah. well when <laughs> but i say i just, yeah, but when a publisher doesn't like something form, i hadn't brought them into a form yeah. where it was working Mm-mm. um And I had to accept that based on those two bits of feedback and the common ground I could see between them. I think there's a lot of complexity in why that wasn't working then and in my um, reaction. But Claire and I had a bit of history together too given that I'd done a little bit of art writing for her when she was at Papa Press mm. and she'd always been responsive to it she'd also loved an essay I wrote many years ago called Submerging Artists," which yes. funnily enough um, was a catalyst for all of the work that's come since I think. Mm. Submerging Artists" was first published on the Pantograph Punch in maybe 2013 or in the early days of that website Mm. and it was my first piece where I just got this phenomenal response from other people, other submerged artists it did contain some references to being at art school and trying to make a piece about mermaids and having a pivotal tutorial uh, about an early mermaid video I was trying to create, among many other things and of course it has that idea of submergence which is a water metaphor or analogy Mm -mm. now Claire was aware of that work and had loved it and she said really you know there's a story about you here I've seen some of your personal essays have you ever written about your earlier childhood what have you done and together we started we just quickly um we quickly brewed up a a new form that would expand on Mm. and house these personal essays that have been coming out Mm -hmm. in a a scattered fashion over the years she sensed I guess wisely that it was the tip of some iceberg
0: (laughs) yeah 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 I mean it's it's really interesting seeing this uh, reading this story in the order that you put it and the you know some people will love I think the early childhood stuff the most Oh, yeah. Because they'll, you know, like, you're a couple of years older than me, and I know that only because you date yourself in the book is when you went to art school. Yeah. And I'm that's my final year of high school. Yeah. So I, I read the date. I mean, I, I think I sort of knew this, but, yeah, so I, I, I think of that. But I go, you're writing about the Smurfs, mm. and I just gave my Smurf collection away a couple of weeks ago to someone who's collecting toys. Yeah. And uh, happily, mm. you know, but because you got to make – sense of this stuff and for me it made sense to get rid of it for mm. you it made sense to write about it uh, i may still write about that but i had to get it out of the house mm. i'm doing that with a lot of my records at the moment mm. which is why they're down the hallway um and and i so i thought about that and then Alf, you mm. know i one of the records that i won't part with is i've got the 12 inch single of um stuck on earth
1: oh my god <laughs> I feel like we should be
0: listening I, to it. We'll, we'll, we'll play that at the end, We should day. be I, lulling
1: viewers.
0: I, I, I nearly thought about... <laughs> listeners. <laughs> viewers to, yeah, I yeah. nearly I nearly thought about putting it on oh, when you came oh. in the door. We, when you messaged and said, I'm running a bit late, I was like, second guess, should I do this? No. What you know would what? have
1: I, really made it is a good slid out of your <laughs> yeah. kitchen oh, you into go. a cucumber. Well, I
0: usually do when people come round, <laughs> and, and, and they've never really got it, you know, so I think that's stopped me from doing that. But, but um... I DJed once and took it with with me and thought tonight's the night I'm going to play it and it was the most excruciating four or five minutes of my life. Did just, people hate it? Yeah, blank Just, the stairs. just, just total. What is wow. going on this? And so I read the room entirely wrong that day. <laughs> Um, as as I, which is not the one and only time I've done that of course but it was the That's one and only time I I've played it. that yeah yeah <laughs> funny eh so, so I'm reading this so I'm reading these things and enjoying the writing and enjoying the story but I'm bringing my own story to it and yeah. I know I'm not alone in that that uh, yes. a huge part of your which is hugely satisfying for a writer isn't it to go I may never know that you know not everyone's going to bore you with their own version like I am now but, you, but you're going to get you know, you know you're know you going to hit that mark with people you know on some level people are bringing their own story to my story as they're reading it
1: Well I guess it's a big responsibility to write about ALF and I felt mm. I shirked it in many ways because at the same time as these key cultural touchstones are in this book, it's not like I'm writing proper histories of them, which you could and which would be fascinating. Yeah. You know, no, I know what there you mean. Is incredible yeah. detail that I discovered about Alf. I mean, there was a, there was a, a duplicate puppet on the set mm. called Ralph. which you know was a kind of like the more demonic sad Mm -mm. elf that might have been used on stunts i mean there was really it it was really like a minefield finding out about elf Mm. and then it's like oh god
0: yeah i mean i want i often think about how i want to sit and watch if not all of them then you know a season of Elf again Because but I, I just know it won't be that good to watch It's no. mu- it's much better to read about no. Or whatever But I, you know I was reading your, your piece about Elf And I was thinking I had my tonsils out when I was a kid But quite late as a kid And one of my um, When I woke up With a really scratchy throat My dad turned up with a little Elf toy Which oh. I kept forever Because of that You know like And because and that's when Elf was on And it was a hit yeah. and stuff and, and my other thing I thought about he Um, might
1: be one of our first comedians
0: yeah yeah like you know oh totally
1: like we thought he He was was hilarious totally
0: he was a one-liner king like he was an (laughs) absolute one-liner king now you watch them now and you would just be like these things are just dropping like bombs
1: but it was
0: probably but it was the best wasn't it now the thing that is um so relevant to me as a nerdy music train spotter with elf is that my favorite drummer there's a guy called Vinny Coliudo who plays with Sting and Frank Zappa and all these people. He plays the drums on the theme tune to Elf because he's an LA session guy forever. Wow! And I, you know, I was thinking you'll appreciate that. You know, I do. that's not a detail you need to put in your book, but you'll appreciate that. That's my you know footnote around elf that's relevant to me
1: i totally get it and i mean the histories of who made these things and this is something i say quite explicitly at the beginning in my first essay let me let me turn to it now Mm. simon google the past and you can trace a path back to the patent and the names attached but can you ever really meet your maker You know, like I say that quite explicitly and I am looking at the origin stories, however briefly, Mm. of those, of things like Elf and the Smurfs and other um, artworks, etc. across the book and this, um, you know. Some call it glib fashion, but it's not, it, it isn't really glib to me. I'm really interested in how these things took shape and became phenomenons, and actually, they often are hugely collaborative mm. in the ways that they mm-hmm. unfold. Like, even looking at the history of the strawberry shortcake doll mm. and how she comes from a greeting card that then gets franchised, and how they turn this into you know, into a marketing um, phenomenon is is really interesting. And I think all of the... Yeah, that's
0: almost a reverse merchandising process or something, isn't it? The the, the merch on some level existed first. Yes. Then the backstory was created to then enable more merch.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I I think a lot of these things have really fascinating evolutions. And I did become quite taken with who had created Elf, Mm. which is Paul Fusco, whoever the heck he is. The premise was essentially the house guest who wouldn't leave. He's a lonely person who can't go back home. You had to have some sort of feeling for him. I think it's really difficult, and I can't say I always achieve it, mm. to try and balance the facts with, with a story that um, hooks you. I mean, in the, in the path of a more historical essay... Uh, the, the chronicles and unpacks oh, God I hate that art word but you know uh, all of the details is not what I've done here but that is something I'm very conscious would be incredibly interesting and that I would read mm, <laughs> about mm. all of these things as well mm. like um, the spin-off published a, a little essay in the book which is called Other Artworks I Have Made with Daryl Hannah which they wisely retitled to being about um, Jean M. Orr's classic of the yeah, Cave yeah, Bear series yeah. and I noticed that people commenting on the Facebook page about it yeah are all just people having their own memories of the book mm-hmm. and that's you know yeah that's delightful
0: yeah again I when I read that I was like I, I, I haven't seen the Clan of the Cave Bear film I haven't read I know I know her name because I've worked in bookstores yeah. and so you, you see hundreds in some cases of books by her but my connection was that because I'm a a, a soundtrack fanatic I owned the soundtrack to the clan of the Cape bear on vinyl and I sold it and I now regret that because at that time I was going through this stupid idea that I couldn't have a soundtrack to a movie if I hadn't seen the film but I had no interest in watching the film mm. but weirdly I really liked the music to the clan of the Cape. bear I think it cost me 50 cents I'm sure I'll find that record again one day without needing to look for it well now hard, you're making
1: me interested in, exactly, a, in and the exactly
0: that's it and that's like a, you'll probably just go whoa
1: but what they is, often have really talented people totally. working across all of these That's things.
0: It. Yeah, yeah. It was a big name composer. I can't remember now. I think it was Alan Silvestri or someone like that. It was a big name composer that put the work together and it was a really lush, beautiful score with, you know, the great image of Daryl Hannah oh, <laughs> on the yeah. cover. And it's so impressive. you know, you'd want it for that if you're a fan I of the film it. anyway. That's yeah. right. Like but I don't know what I, you know, how it fell into my possession, but I had it for a time. I listened to it. It's gone. I may get it again
1: I think we all have yeah you're right we all have our own associations with certain pop cultural moments of Mm. of our time and sometimes before our time sometimes of our parents some of us are deep fans we go back or spread off in all these different directions um yeah, these are just some of mine, and I guess because Claire's my publisher she, we do share a generational reference yes. field, and she was aware that she didn't think a lot of this has really been covered in in our in writing mm. you know no this uh, correctly time, that's true yeah, yeah this time frame from the uh, from the nineties.
0: Mm, the, you know the very early nineties, yeah. uh, uh, In terms of that stuff, and then throw into your art school stuff. It, it's, it, it basically that's the thing, isn't it? That's the real bridge of the book is actually the nineties. You've got some memories from the eighties to start with, and then you've got some stuff that's happened more recently. But it's a nineties book.
1: I noticed Sally Blundell had had been asked to review the book the other day, and her review popped up and said the beginning was like a John Irving novel, <laughs> and then it, you know, kind of transforms into this Chris Kraus kind of um, mm. period in the in the art school years. Uh, just picking up on your comment mm. at the beginning that a lot of people will relate to the childhood, or that yes. might be the favourite part um, for for some for some readers. Um, yeah, I guess once we get into, you know, me as a young woman in a linear edit suite late at night trying to recut Splash into an art video mm. I, I, I'm aware that not everyone needs to read that story <laughs> and not everyone's going to attach to that in the same way i found a different audience again with art in the waiting room and mm. me having to think about art or, u- or using art as a way to think through watching my mum's illness and death. Mm. Um, that's brought me different readers a- a- again. But at the heart of the book is still this woman whose experiences, my experiences, uh, are founded in 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 a, in a kind of inheritance of a, of an idea of the avant-garde in mm. avant-garde art, mm, mm. which I mean now feels very antiquated and probably <laughs> deeply problematic. But I'm not in art and writing because I'm afraid of what's deeply problematic.
0: Mm, you know. mm, mm. I was thinking we should um, explore a little bit. Um, I mean, it's relevant to the book, but w- when you came around in early 2018, mm. we talked about Tinderbox, but we also did talk about your um, art school time a little bit and and obviously your life as Mm. as I do on these podcasts up to that so fill me in a little bit I mean you 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 had a, a very wee child at that time
1: Oh, yeah, my
0: daughter's now six. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to work out, because my son's about to turn 10, and I, you know, as I say, I don't know you super well, but we we see each other walking around the the neighbourhood, and at one time, both with, I think, push chairs, like, (laughs) you probably had a pram, and I was probably just finishing off with the the buggy at some point, but also me wandering around town with my son, particularly on Friday afternoons. Yeah. Um, so what what's been I wonder what's been going on for you in these last 3 years obviously writing this book but for a time you were I mean you've published on the spin-off but for a time you were an actual art editor for a section of yeah, the spin-off yeah, that's right. What 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 sort of things can you bring up that you've been doing across the last 3 years that
1: Yeah sure I's,
0: And obviously a lot of parenting
1: Yeah when I saw you last for that podcast in 2018 fern would have been about two going on three that year i did go to america as well i went to america and i met several key professional mermaids mm. i went to the coney island mermaid parade i don't know if this had happened when i saw you
0: i don't think so but again you know i follow you on facebook so i think i know some yeah, of this stuff yeah. First, I went but yeah there, it's interesting i it's went
1: weird. to la i met robert short the guy who designed and made the splash mermaid tail mm. that now multiple mermaids have met and associated with and learnt the craft of mermaid tail the, creation the from. The Tom
0: Savini of mermaid Tales.
1: Yeah. And I mean, really, he's a special effects designer. Yeah. Yeah. And this is another interesting bleed between film and um, in, into industries that are now enabled by the internet, by, mm. the, by the way people are, are, are making and creating new careers mm. through the internet. Um, so I had an interesting voyage there and that was the first time I'd left Fern and she was then uh, just over two and I left her for two weeks and I remember meeting a mermaid in Florida who said, God, I could never leave my kids as I was at some pool Mm. with her having an underwater mermaid lesson. And it was really hard and strange to leave Fern then. Mm. Uh, At the time, I worked part time on a contract for City Gallery Wellington, digitising their archive which actually meant I was um, writing small histories for, for exhibitions from their archive and choosing slides and getting them prepared for digitisation and we were publishing that history online. That was originally three days a week and then just two days a week and I had a grant and was working on the, the mermaid research and lots of writing then in 2018 um and then at the end of that year I had my two big abject bumps the first one came from the agent just Mm. before Christmas 2018 and the next one came in the new year and then I had a period of um emotional destitution not the only one I've had I might (laughs) add Uh, it's a regular regular visiting place for moi Mm. um and I was just, you know, really floored by this idea that I had to write a fucking book about me. <laughs> I was so annoyed
0: and embarrassed about it. I just thought, oh my god. Yes, yeah, so it's the it's the thing that, and I think it might have been it might have been Colin Peacock that raised this actually with you. I'm sure other interviewers have, but it's sort of on one level people go that must be the best thing ever for a writer but that's probably the most terrifying thing as well I just or, or think it's instead. really
1: strange yeah.
0: like when how do you get your head fully around it
1: and also like you know people would say what is your book about mm. and I'd go me? Mm. and then they look and you know it's not a great pitch like this isn't the pitch mm. but it, that's what it's about that's true anyway in 2019 I also thought I've been art writing for a long time and I wanted to do something different so I spoke to Mark Amory a fellow art writer mm-hmm. and I was forming a relationship with Duncan Grieve and the spin-off and I wanted to run my own art section but I knew I didn't have capacity to do that by myself mm. Mark and I ended up forming it together, and we um, and we started publishing one to two art pieces a week. We really wanted to speak to a more generalist audience, um, who that wouldn't just be composed of artists and curators. Like that was the vision. They, mm. the, of course, we wanted those people to come along with us, but we I liked the idea that. You know, just more people who don't make art could think, oh yeah, I'd like to go and see that or that's interesting. I, you know, I really wanted to speak some, in that way. There were
0: some really good pieces published on that. There
1: were some good pieces. So we learnt how difficult it was together. I mean, Mark's got a long history with mm. publishing mm. Um, in many formats. So he was a great person to work with at speed on things. Um, and we, and it was a really it was a really fantastic experience, but by God, did it take my life over? Mm. You know, so I was running that in 2019, working two days a week in the archive and running this and trying to, and now seeking into writing a book mm. about me. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, each year Fern is getting older. Um, and uh, so, and then somewhere in the middle of 2019, my mother said her cancer was back again. Her blood count was up. She had a type of cancer called multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of the blood. She had first had it in her early 50s, and she'd been in remission for a good 17 plus years, mm-hmm. and she'd been being monitored Um So she needed to start being treated again for it. And um, as far as we knew at the time in 2019, all things were looking good, you know, like it was looking good, um, her prognosis. But one of the things that they need to do for this type of cancer is a stem cell um, transplant, um, a big operation that she was preparing for in December. So as we coasted towards that, um, December 2019, an opportunity came out of the ether to take a job essentially managing the events full-time at City Gallery Wellington. I was aware that one of the problems with my mermaid book was that I was really, really on the, uh, skidding along the bottom money wise, and it was starting to really drain mm. me and Rich and our relationship and just fucking everything. Mm. And I think it was really affecting me writing. I bet. L- like, sometimes you just can't write when you're constantly worried about how you're going to make money, about Close making it. enough money. Yeah. I mean some people seem to do it but do it in your 20s don't still be doing (laughs) it that's right no energy Uh, to still be doing it later totally you know all of that kind of stuff Simon so I I went for this job I remember being with mum in hospital like writing the job application and sending it in and her and us sitting there together and going is this okay and she's yes dear you know she's a lovely person Um, and I'm still publishing two things a week on the spin-off as an editor, and then bang, suddenly she had that, um, very serious operation in the, at the end of December. Um, I got the job, and then suddenly she was brutally ill and died, um, on the 31st of December 2019, and then, um... That wasn't part of the plan. That mm. wasn't in the framework for the, the book. book.
0: Yeah. Like, she knew I was writing the book. I remember. She knew she was in the book at that she point? Knew like, because she like, she's, she's, yep. she's really right through the book. Yeah, she's, she knows it's she's, about my life. She's the next most consistent character apart yes, from you yeah. yeah
1: yeah she knew she was in the book she mm. knew I was going to talk about the man with the purple van I mm-hmm. am proud of my essay sorry mother as hard <laughs> as it is mm. I am proud of that essay and mm. I do think it speaks to some deep truths and some people might just think it's funny but it's not just funny no. like it's actually really not just funny mm. I mean comedy is very wedded to tragedy
0: mm. oh <laughs> it's totally it's just
1: like a flip side yeah so, end of two thousand and nineteen, she suddenly dies, and then a few, and then I'm meant to be on a Michael King residency, which I kick along. Then I'm doing that in March as we go into an unprecedented global pandemic. Mm. So I was meant to publish this book in two thousand and twenty, but it just got a little slowed along by mm. a mum dying, b global pandemic, <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> um, and c full time job yeah, running yeah. events in a pandemic. <laughs> So I don't want to write a book about
0: that one. No, no, no. But it's. I was thinking, you know, reading particularly the end of the book and knowing, I mean, you talk about it, that, that it wasn't your plan to write about your mother in that way. No. I was thinking the two, I guess the two blessings to have come from the situation are that you started the book before she got sick. Yeah. And that she... Isn't experiencing at her age and frailness, which you you mentioned, yes. the the events of the last eighteen months.
1: Yes, it, the, those are the two. Those a worry. Are,
0: but on a, on a more selfish level, for you, if you hadn't started the book, that would have derailed it. If not completely, then it would have held it back for a long, long time, wouldn't it?
1: I think I. I had already written the first third of the book, the yeah. childhood section, when she died. But I hadn't written the two other sections. Yeah, yeah. It gave me a lot of impetus because I I knew I wanted to finish, and I was very frustrated throughout twenty twenty not being able to finish. I was really really frustrated by that, um, but I just had a few too many factors yeah at play um, to get where I wanted to. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, certainly, Mum would have been a, a, an immune compromised person, um, and that would have added a thick layer of stress to what's already been yes. a hugely stressful situation for most of us, yeah. and some of us more than others, of course. Um, I think um, I, I I think the book would have been a much poorer like now art in the waiting room seems absolutely integral to it. Mm. Um, but I noticed in Sally Blundell's review, she's like she skips over all of this period that's actually covered in Tinderbox, and it's like, mm. oh yeah. Well, I, I'm pleased to be up to date with where I am now, and I'm ready to write more from where I am now as a person. You know, I've had to look back on on an as on aspects of my character and my choices through a distance of time, and um, it's it's nice. Uh, to have done it but it's also good to step away from it again um but it has been I didn't write it for it to be cathartic but it's had its cathartic moments and Mm. it's had its tricky moments too as I think writing memoir is tricky and I do have to consider oh what have I left out I have left out some um, some important things for different reasons different good reasons um But then others, like the boyfriend uh, who I had for six months, you know. Yeah, why didn't I write about that? I mean, it's interesting what you put out there and what you don't. Yeah, totally. And what constellates and forms a nugget of a story and what doesn't.
0: I was, I think, most intrigued by the chapter, the essay about your dad. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. And um, I wondered what Mm. what you have to say about that and I mean I was I I mean you've read a tiny bit already but I was keen for you to read something from here but I almost want you to read something from that yeah sure um, The Difficult Father yeah
1: I can do that
0: I find the um, I find the tone of that piece Mm. fascinating yeah Uh, you know in in a a good way in a really good way but yeah would you read a bit from that yeah
1: sure Dear Donald it's hard to write this letter to you because you were dead I only write letters to the dead these days. This is the postmodernist lament. I'm supposed to be writing an essay about my father, but it's difficult because I'm 46 and my father is 67 and alive. Rush, hush, the sound of the sea. And I want to tell the story of when I was 17 and he was 38 and I lived with him for the first time since I was three in a shoebox at Lyle Bay by the rush, hush... Dear Donald, what happened that year? A. Anthropology B. Philosophy C. The sound of the waves breaking at Lyle Bay D. Donald Barthame Your books were lined up on a low wooden shelf in the hallway. Sadness, The Dead Father, 40 stories. Come back, Dr. Caligari. Nearby windbreakers on hooks. Above the bookshelf a framed print of Catherine Mansfield in a red dress of... Fat book on her lap, not one of your slim pomo classics, Donald. Her painted pupils gazed intently towards the windbreakers. Rush, hush, the sound of my father reading. Turn the page. Dear Donald, my father is a big reader, voracious, I get that from him. The shoebox was his nickname for his rectangular house at Lyle Bay, which had a flat roof like a lid. Inside the shoebox, his running shoes and volumes of books, their spines, battered and creased, wearing out-of-date dust jackets. Recently I picked a spine from his bookshelf and held it up to face him, the dead father. Black font for a black title. Huh, I started that one but couldn't finish it, Dad said. I haven't read it yet
0: either. There are some things one doesn't rush. Hush. See, to hear you read it is fantastic because I think you could probably win a poetry slam with that, <laughs> or be very well placed.
1: <laughs> I did start writing poetry. I first wrote yeah, poetry. That's very yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think, and I think it's much more. I mean, it makes sense because these are essays, but it's much more overt in this than in your first book, The the Poetry Voice. Oh, is it? I, I think from yeah. memory it's there a little bit in Tinderbox too, but it's much more overt in this.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting that you've plucked this one out as an anomaly. Look, it's Mm. really hard to write about Dad. Dad is alive. Mm. Alive! I say that in here. Mm. And, you know, I love my father. Mm. My father is incredibly well-read. He is hugely intelligent. And he's also a deeply feeling person who's um, really no bullshit. He's Mm. got a real no bullshit quality. And he's, um, he's very humane and um, surprising in lots of elements of his character and his soul. And yet we have this experience where my mum and him separated when I was three... And I grew up with her, and he was a dad on holidays. Mm. And the difficult father is about the first year I lived with him again as a 17-year-old in Wellington going to Victoria University studying philosophy and anthropology. It was a really difficult year for us um, and for me. Um, And chronicling that was hard. And, yes, I did feel I couldn't say everything. And yet I also felt and thought... What happened that year, which keeps on being an echo and echo because what happens is so emotional. Like I keep on joking to people, it's not like I've been kept in a cellar. (laughs) You know, like the worst things haven't happened to me. This is not the worst thing. Mm. You know? Mm -mm. Um, you know, touch touch vinyl sofa. (laughs) Like yeah, yeah. So these these are emotional landscapes that are deeply woven into the fabric of self and who I am as a writer and yeah. Donald Barthelme is an important writer and touchstone to me and I think is I mean he's an incredible author um, postmodernism is very looked down on and I kind of struggled with this and then I thought I've just got to own it I've just got to own that I'm from the postmodern yeah. kind of fraternity and i've just got to come out there every other fucking woman's owning her modernism so i'm just going to come out and be loud and proud <laughs> as a postmodernist mm. even though i seem to be the only one <laughs> you know uh standing up and 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 speaking with the tricks and techniques of postmodernism which I know can be thought to be just distancing, distancing but sometimes there's a need to create distance, I think it's a complex essay, I think I've got more to say, a Mm. lifetime's work to say about the inheritance between generations of um of an emotional landscape and of, uh, and of art and taste. And there are echoes of this in here with dad. They're more pronounced with mum, but they're there with both of them. Mm-hmm. And thinking about who both of them are and who I am and what forces shaped all of us and our unseen generations going back is increasingly of interest to me
0: sorry i don't have short answers no that's great no you've got podcast length answers which is why (laughs) i invited you back it's great i i thought that um i mean it's funny to think this because you'll you'll either instantly tell me i'm wrong or if i'm right it sort of doesn't mean anything but i felt that one that that might have been one of the more hard-fought essays to pin down for you in the book oh yeah yeah Fuck yeah! Yeah, it just it reads like that, but it reads beautifully, and, yeah. and it was great to have you read some of it because I think that um, really casts it in a new light for me because I couldn't quite imagine your physical voice reading it, um, but I felt it's just a tonal shift in the book.
1: Yeah, it is. It is noticeable. Yeah, it is tonally very in a different. really
0: compelling way. Like yeah. it's you know just the timing of it too, like it of where it's placed because this. The familiarity you have with your mother, the fondness, the familiarity. I mean, you you are your mother's mother in some ways throughout yeah, the book. You're, yeah, you're yeah. a carer for her yeah. because of the um, broken marriage.
1: I yeah. think, you know,
0: like uh, that's how, that's how. I mean, my parents are still together, but that's how I imagine it, that the child of a divorced parent that stays with one, you, yeah. you become a bit of a, a best friend yes. slash parent carer and then you had the actual you know you've seen your mother's life through mm. but with you, with your father you've got this detachment mm. that you may never ever solve and mm. i when i was reading it i kept thinking of the there's a finn brothers song when they did that album together neil and tim did that album together in the early 2000s there's a song that they both sing on where they talk about we stare at each other like the banks of a river and we can't get any closer than that. And I, I think it's the most honest they've been about their relationship. And I love that that sort of, I mean, I've probably butchered the line, but it's that's roughly it. And that came to mind reading your thing with your dad, just going... There are these things that connect you, not just blood. There are these mm. things that he's passed down. Mm. Oh yeah, totally. And you, you know, and you could feel that. But also, there's just such a remo- like an actual physical remove had happened for so long that there's such a philosophical remove or a spiritual remove.
1: There, there is some. There is yeah. a big piece about distance in yes. there. There yeah. is, and I guess it, it creates distance. The text as well mm. as. Um, mm. Uh, whereas with mum, everything's more kismet. I mean, not to say that there aren't some difficult ones about mum, and I think, too, sure. sometimes the voice, sometimes the voice which is, you know, kidding and wisecracking along with you, mm. will then suddenly turn just for a paragraph. But with the dad one, the voice is markedly different yes. the whole time. Well, that's it. It's yeah.
0: like, it's like I I read the book going, Essentially, you're holding our hand and going, run with me through this wild ride. Yeah. Come with me. And, you know, if we happen to open, you know, a cupboard door and see a dead body, I'm going to show you that. But yeah. but I'm also going to parade you through these toys. I'm going to take you, you know, come and, come and re-watch this film with me. Come and yeah. do this. <laughs> and then with that essay, there's none of that. It's these short oh, little yeah. fragments of just, like, you stand back and I'm going to tell you this stuff. And you're not going to fully, you know, you're not going to be, it's not as... It's not as instantly page turnery as the other stuff, yeah. but in a weird way, it is because of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh well, I think you've I think you've come to something really interesting. Yes, it was hard to write. Yes, the first draft was markedly different and mm. had even less dad in it. Mm. And then I had to find ways to to get closer to something that is still, that is still a mystery, and I mean, it's not the only mystery in here, but you're right, that it's still a lot, the, you know, our relationship is still alive, and when I showed dad the essay, I mean, I did ring him up, Simon, and, I cried and I said, Dad, you know I was trying to write a book about mermaids. And I mean, he pitied me because he didn't understand that that was true. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember showing Dad one of the first mermaids that I really loved, this mermaid who I'd interviewed, and I showed him the picture of her and he looked at it and went, this is just totally you. (laughs) Mm, mm. (laughs) So there's a lot of kismet stuff there. But yeah, that bit was really difficult. Mm. Um, But it doesn't mean I'm being disingenuous in other places. And I I really, because I'm not, and I really felt like when I cracked on the Tallulah bankhead thing and the birthday Mm. card mum gave me at 14, I was like, by God, I finally got to the bottom of something (laughs) here. And there were other things that I had sitting in my trash file, like "Desiderata" with Reverb. And then I found them months later and I was like, oh, why did I put that in the trash? (laughs) <laughs> like I'm hauling that one out. Mm. Um, but you know before um, when we were talking about your partner mm. and how she realizes how much inheritance she has from her t- her grandmothers yeah. or from her family and the and the values that get imparted down through the years, mm. I mean the days that arerada with reverb is a piece about that, and I probably didn 't realize until I wrote this what um, what values had been imparted to me and what kind of quibble i 'd taken with them until I was looking back at a distance. You know, contrasting the messages of the prayer of serenity with experiences I have in a massage parlor mm. much later, mm. and then thinking about the days at Arata, which which starts with the line, you know, about going placidly, you know, um, yeah. So I I really enjoyed things like that, but I I completely recognise that not the same amount of people will have read the days at Arata. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, like I. I get that. And there's a lot of Catholicism in here. And and there's a lot of naughtiness that is born of Catholicism.
0: That is a shiny new reading copy. That's not a battered... I can hear the pages squelch as you're turning them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the smell of newness. Yeah, yeah. Well, because this book has come out in level four, yes. I haven't really read from it yet. I yeah, haven't right. done an event. I've done one Zoom event with this. Okay. Um... You know, and uh,
0: that's that's that, that's, that's a shame, but that's quite good because you've done all your promo and your public. You've got all your store. you got all your stories lined up. You've got all your all
1: I of mean, those you, came out. Yeah. All of those were in transit. All yeah. of those press copies were already out there things yeah. were being booked in, and then we hit level four. So everything kind of went ahead except all of the events.
0: Yeah, yeah, but now you've got like you. I mean, you you would probably have this down anyway, but you got all your banter and all your patter down ready to go for i got we, banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i got
1: banter for days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've yeah, got yeah. banter too. Like, yeah. Some of us are born to banter. Some yeah. of us aren't. Yeah, that's and right. And some are writers, but they're not born to banter. Funnily yeah. enough,
0: I am. I've noticed that um, a little bit with podcasting, that sometimes you get a person that you're like, you're just going to be... You know, I mean, I, I think I've been pretty lucky. I haven't published any um, podcast episodes that I haven't enjoyed. And I haven't, you know, I don't think anyone's been disappointing or disappointed hopefully mm. but you definitely feel it sometimes that a person lives more on the page
1: yeah than,
0: and that's absolutely fine yeah you know, and not everyone is yeah. an- animated in real life or or interested in talking about yeah. the writing because the writing is where they've done the talking
1: yeah that's yeah. right and I mean the, all I of it's valid right personality yeah, that's types. it all
0: of it's yeah. correct There's no right one way to do it, I don't think. But it is enjoyable when you get someone that is really, you know, what I've enjoyed about your interviews, the the two that I've done with you and just listening to a couple of the ones that you've done with this book is you really own, uh, like I think in the book, it might be one of the more um, self-aware memoirs I've read, if I'm going to call it a memoir, um, which I think it is. I think it's both a memoir and a collection of essays, which yeah. is the magic trick of it, that it's both. Yeah. Um, but I think you're, you're one of the more self-aware writers I've seen write about themselves. And then you have this confidence when you speak about the writing that you're like, yeah, I'm pretty funny. This bit's funny. This bit I like. I'm good with titles. Uh, I've always been a quick person. And a lot of people couldn't own that in that way. They're just, you know, you're not doing it in any kind of bragging way at all.
1: Well, I'm certainly not bragging. I mean, no. God, I would have loved to have been a different kind of writer. I'm still not at peace with the kind of writer you, I am. I was going to
0: say, do you... Do I'll you, never be at
1: peace with it. I
0: well, that's what will keep you writing, though, which what? is good, I, I think. Um, I was going to ask you if you had closed the door on being a novelist because you you know you talk about oh, being essentially a frustrated novelist or, or, or a failed novelist or yeah. whatever you want to call it. But I think, like, reading this, I was struck thinking... Um, you know, you, you sort of said in one of the interviews that you've arguably found your voice in this way, but I still think this is a voice that translates to novel writing. You just haven't done it yet. So is that the next project do you think, or a future project still?
1: I'm loath to talk about the next <laughs> yeah, project because look what a mess I made of it last time. <laughs> I mean, I'd be the last person who should be trusted oh, uh, on what my next what my next project. Is.
0: Don't you don't you, think, don't you think it's been a happy mess though? Like it's it, yeah. you know, I mean, it's bought you publicity. <laughs> yeah. Arguably, yeah. I think you would have got it anyway, but it's definitely bought you publicity. I mean. What a what a what a master to have a successful project that encapsulates a failed project within it. Yes. That is still that still has that you know that 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 um hasn't isn't dead and buried like that could still happen.
1: Yeah.
0: So and well, the, when
1: you're submerged and you're yes. a mermaid, you can yes. always re-emerge.
0: Do you think? I mean, I can't remember if I asked you this last time, but do you think? Sometimes I feel like we get mm. these projects and actually. You know, because I've noticed this with... You know, I think one of the great things about doing this podcast is, for me, is that some people aren't, aren't really um, worthy of a documentary or a biography, but they've got a great story and it can be encapsulated on a podcast and it's more than a feature article and it takes a different yeah. form. Do you think that the thing with the mermaid thing is that maybe the book has not performed for it? I mean, I know there are already mermaid documentaries... Um, but you know, is that part of the thing that maybe you know? When I said to you, yeah. when I said to you, um, jokingly, uh, that the feedback from the agent and the publisher might have been that we 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 don't like mermaids, we like you. Um, what I mean is, what they don't like about mermaids is that they can't see mermaids selling. M- is, is what they don't is what they maybe don't like about it is they can't see it being a project that, cause for everyone that's on board with it and on board with you as the as a writer still has that stumbling block of I don't really care about mermaids uh, when they're in the when they're deep in it they've suddenly realized that a that doesn't matter or b I care about them more that this person's helped me realize I care about them more than I need to but that can be a really hard selling point
1: I guess for me I'm so there for mermaids yeah yeah it that just so you, can, that's what I mean. you can't see that, it no yeah. I can't see that at all yeah. I I Yeah, I'm not sure what I'll do next. I'm not sure if I can write a novel or not. My first book, unpublished, was a novel called The Santa Parade. Bits of that book have wound up in this one, Things I Learned at Art School, in the sex industry sections, which Mm. The Santa Parade explored in a different form. Mm. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure what else I can write. But I do like writing about art. I... I do like um, interviews, which are the form I was Mm. exploring with, you know. What did you find so addictive about that?
0: I meant to ask you when you were saying you, you, you found them very addictive.
1: I think it's a bit like collecting Smurfs. Yeah. You know, you see, you get one, and then you see the... Oh, look, that one. I want that one as well. And then, you, you you know, you want the whole village. You want all the Smurfs. Like, and I found... You know, people would say to me, Oh, can you sense the theme? Or you're probably getting to a point where you're getting... um you know the same information coming up. I mean, these these are people talking with their rational minds, whereas I'm interviewing with my irrational mind. So yeah. then I'll be talking to a mermaid, and she'll say, and she'll be talking to an animal, and then it's apparent she's got two parrots in her house. And then I'm like, well, what are they called? You know, I just became really. I, it's the human subject, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And yes, there were common things, but there were actually wildly different things motivating each person as well. And I suppose uh, uh, I, I just I guess my voice is conversational on the page, and I am someone who's interested in conversation mm. as a form. Mm. And I the interview gives us a chance to explore that mm. with different people. You know, so I, I would just always find that there was something new, and by and large, I relate to what you say. What, whereas, where by and large, I really enjoyed the interviews, and it was mm. not often that I felt one hadn't worked like mainly they work although Mm. some people I could tell I got a lot closer to
0: than others Uh, well again I I think that's one of the things that's great about it isn't it is Mm. that you can be as prepared as you like you can have your style down but I feel like each one is still different yes same because you're different each day and you're encountering people you know everyone's different on any day so sometimes you get a person on there on a really good day sometimes you get them on a bad day and that can still result in a really good interview for that reason or you can be not feeling it to begin with but you just, you know, somehow you pull out your A-game, whatever. Every single one is different. And all of those variables are helpful.
1: I think one of my big things is with interviews, you're not on subject until you're off subject. Mm. But actually, maybe that's my whole Mm -hmm. modus operandi with writing as well. Sometimes when we're too intentional on things and I think the mermaid Draft might have been an example, the intent has become too strong, Yes, you're bearing down on it too directly with your conscious mind and actually you have to find a way for that conscious mind to get into the back seat and become a passenger where where some other crazy bastard takes over and then the ride becomes something bigger and different than anyone could have imagined Mm. and that's the point one I'm always trying to get to Um, I think I'm becoming a little bit more open to form like I'm now becoming interested in I was lying in bed thinking about this this morning isn't it funny how some people are interviewing me and they haven't read the book, but then they're quoting from my website and then it made me more interested <laughs> mm-hmm. in, like, oh, what about the form of the website? Maybe I should think more deeply about what I'm communicating with there if that's going to be the primary source, <laughs> you know? Can like, you? I, I'm really interested in the way I now watch things with Wikipedia open, yeah, like yeah, I'm completely yeah. addicted to it. And I'm really interested in creating more of those experiences where you're... You're working across different formats all the time to get all of well, these. Things. To go
0: back to that in your book, you know you, yeah, you do, You have this great way of you know you were talking about um, sharing some of the information about the making of Elf and how you you know you could go deeper in that. I was going to say you know you're blessed with the fact that you're not a rotten mansplainer like me and or you know other other people where you're going over the top about it, but actually you're you're sort of sharing your research you know just in sketch form yeah yeah it's almost like a you could do this too
1: oh yeah
0: here's what i've done for us yeah yeah, kind of thing that is the kind of tone i got from it of like because some of the things you'd say i'm like well i know that already but i like the way you've explained that to me because because i found it out in the same way like i'm not i'm not you know cleverer than you and you're not cleverer than me We've, we've we've used the same way to find this stuff out no, I'm definitely
1: yeah. not an expert, and I'm not mm. ever You're speaking not. Yeah, as yeah. an expert. I suppose that's one of the expectations too about a book about mermaids. Am I some historical mm. expert who's mm. telling you something? But no, I'm not. And then how do I? And then how do I do that? Um, and yet bring people along with me? Um, and it seems with personal anecdotes, I've got enough of a balance. Although I suspect the the ones the essays that become the cornerstone of the book have more emotional um, derivative rather than, mm. than than the elf, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, like, they all kind of bounce along together and, and they represent a, a life uh, more or less well lived in the sense that most of us, hopefully, have a life that is balanced with joys and TV and coffees as mm. well as, as trauma mm. uh, of of the you know standard common garden variety that most of us experience yeah. some people you know ha- have life level much bigger things at them and then and then they step up as writers to that different and intense challenge um but I I, I have I have learnt that the voice is humorous I've learnt that by default trying to write deeply serious things <laughs> Um, so I learned that by default and mm. then it does seem to, it's, it's just best if I just let it come and I let a lot of this book come and I didn't put too much pressure on it and I think it's better for that. I mean, I have seen people review it and go, oh, these aren't really shaped like essays and it's like, yeah, you reckon? <laughs> you know, like I do things mm. like, how long do either of us have? I'm going to keep this short. She was no Daryl Hannah. And then we move along. Let's keep rolling. Yeah. I suppose that is a bit... Like, I suppose that is a little cheeky. But
0: then... It's great though, isn't it? I mean, I used to I used to um, feel like I had to put on the um, little proviso that, oh, my poems aren't really poems. Oh, yeah. You know, they're more stories. They're more yeah. anecdotes. They're almost little essays and yeah, right, but whatever. But it's like, then I put a book of them out. And it's kind of like, in a way fuck it, they're poems. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're as good or as worth your time as Billy Collins or any, you know, whoever, but they exist. Yeah. And I can, I can stop saying, oh, they're not really poems. Yeah. They're just things I wrote. Yeah. And I think I could actually republish that book in straight paragraphs. and yeah. the, And the meaning of it would be the same. Yeah. And I know that, and that's I, yeah, I'm not going to do that because that's you know, but I know I could have done that. That they could all just be little prose pieces, and you know, a person can decide that that they're not very poetic. But to me, that that's just how I've ended up writing poetry. That's fine, and that's the you know, that's the thing that's happening with the essay shape now too. I think is that it's having its shackles removed.
1: I think it's a very mongrel form. Yeah, and having read um, Fran Lebowitz's Metropolitan yeah. Life. You know, I kind of beg to differ, like, that's written a hell of a long time ago, and, you know, like, her techniques and, and stuff aren't, I mean, they're different, but they're not, re- some of the forms aren't radically different to, the, to this way of, of jotting things down. Um, Of that semblance of of having just jotted some things down. If
0: she wrote how she spoke and as often as she speaks, she'd be the most prolific (laughs) writer and it'd be hilarious. But somehow she's managed to have these two actually quite separate careers as writer and speaker. And she's made a career, you know, I guess talking about careers out of uh, books out of failed projects, she's made a career out of writer's block. I which know. is astonishing and
1: she's an entertainer yeah. one guy who reviewed Tinderbox one guy who reviewed it in England said you know among other things Dunn's an entertainer and I thought mm, there's real truth in that yeah. I am an entertainer and that's yeah. what works about um, some of the radio interviews or various things that just wouldn't suit every writer and that's cool like we said before but Fran is an entertainer too yeah, I totally. mean the uber entertainer Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: but the whole piece personality is what you're either responding
0: to or not i think she's i think there's a she's in a weird way i think she's a little bit like john waters too or that you know he's got that same thing and he's actually become more of a writer than a filmmaker now but so he's switched careers too yeah uh, arguably but you know to me he's a raconteur that's his that's that's his. Um, he so see, is. You know, that's his thing. He's an entertainer and a raconteur. too. You wanna, uh, you wanna hear him speak. Yes. And I got to interview him once over the phone. And it oh, was what was it like? Amazing. You know, yeah. and it was ama- He was incredible. And uh, my favorite thing that happened in that that I think just shows how smart he is, is, uh, and how amazing he is. Is I thought I was being clever because he, he said so. You know, because he's famous for his Baltimore. Um, for living there rah, rah. and I said something about oh what's new in Baltimore thinking you know that's a pretty obscure Frank Zappa reference and it also could just pass so I just said it and he started talking about stuff and then about two minutes into his spiel he goes oh and you are like this they've actually just erected a statue of Frank Zappa blah, blah. so he totally you know got me acknowledged me yeah. trumped, trumped me But didn't make me feel stink at all. It was totally like, you're actually going to dig this. It wasn't a, oh, I'm going to put you in your place, you're trying to be clever. Because I wasn't, I don't think I was trying to be clever, it just sort of came out.
1: Yeah.
0: And he, I was just like, fuck, I'm speaking to someone who who rolls in the way I hoped he did. You know, it was quite amazing.
1: Some some people are... Their life's work is very personality-driven. Yes, yeah. And I think I've learnt that I am one of this species. I
0: agree. And...
1: so, when I'm hearing the advice from other writers about you leave yourself behind and all that mm. kind of advice, I mean, yes, for some you do, and I don't yeah. doubt that they have total immersion in other fictional worlds, etc., etc. Mm. But imagine John Waters getting that advice. Like, some of us are just this other kind of species. I mean, I, I certainly don't put myself up there with john and no. fran although i did make a quip that i felt it was like fran cross with anne of green gables via Huntley, because i kind of <laughs> felt that was useful like um in the way the personality wants to present you yeah. know yeah um but it's been instructive for me that that that's kind of my shtick um and I think we're on—we're in interesting territory here, where um, artists are changing form all the time. Mm. And yeah, John Waters, you 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 go one way for a bit, and then you, and then you're off doing something else that's come organically from these other. Yeah, projects. well,
0: like my my—you know—one of my um, f- sort of pe- uh, obsessions at the moment is John Carpenter, and thinking also about how he's just completely changed careers. I mean, he hasn't made a film for eleven years; uh, he's a musician. Wow. And, he, and he always was, you know. Yeah. The music was crucial to his movies, but he is basically a musician. And, uh, you know, that's, him and John Waters are quite similar. They're, they're both given um, the same reason for not making films they can't afford it. They oh, can't. They're, they're both independent filmmakers, and, yeah. you know, uh, investors won't back them anymore. Yeah. And they can't make the things they want to make. Yeah. So they won't compromise. So they've found other outlets. And that's a cool example of of, of morphing. I mean, there's yeah. a financial reason for doing it, but they've ultimately found a groove that is both artistically satisfying and and more financially secure for yeah. them. Because John Waters can write a book, go on a speaking tour. I mean, he's he's almost David Sedaris, almost. You know, I mean, in, in that he's operating in the same kind of world as him. Yeah. And that's amazing. It is you know, amazing. You know, you can't imagine David Sedaris going. I'm gonna make sitcoms I'm going to make a movie you just can't imagine you know he'd, he'd write brilliant lines I'm sure but you just can't imagine that happening he's so set up in what he does mm. and he's lucky that that still works for him but these guys have made that weird shift they've kind of felt they had to I think it's a little bit true for David Lynch too who's a little bit more um mm. a cr- multi-discipline anyway but you know I think he's sort of like exploring other avenues than just the straight movie. Animal. I think
1: it's interesting when artists, even of that stature, are having mm. financial constraints, which is something artists of our stature, you know, yeah. our more humble <laughs> means, <Yes. laughs> like, wow, what a jolt,
0: right? Yeah, well, we're almost born from financial constraints, you know, yeah. they're not thrust upon us, we live with them no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I mean, I found it interesting how Robert Short, who created the Splash Tale, um, The special effects industry has obviously changed and been radically affected by CGI. Mm. So then all of these talents start migrating into other areas, Mm. um, Mm. which is really interesting. And that's a little bit like what you've just described with Carpenter and Waters and Mm. how their talents start migrating as one um, aspect of revenue dries up or becomes crunched and under pressure. I
0: think David Cronenberg too, actually. and They're all much for muchness. I know he's doing more acting these days, popping up in things as an actor, you know, same thing like, because, you know, you still make a movie, but like, people won't take that same gamble on that stuff I just find that quite interesting
1: I think it's remarkable, and one of the big highlights for me uh, when I did the spin-off art section was I met one of the guerrilla girls, you know, the feminist collective, the guerrilla girls Mm. who've always dressed up in gorilla masks Mm. and you don't know exactly who they are and have done activism around feminism, um, which is much more diverse than, uh, than I had remembered when I encountered their show at Auckland Art Gallery and I went and met Frieda. Um, And she she said Oh no we don't We don't make any money from this Mm. We don't make any money from Mm. this art And I thought As soon as she said it It was starkly obvious Oh and yet they are in the history books you would never expect to learn about western 20th mm. century art and not encounter the guerrilla girls as mm. part of that journey so it's kind of fascinating how money just can be this incredible chestnut that so many of us um, you know, can't quite crack and yet others do
0: uh, yeah yeah totally it's, i think
1: the relationship between um culture and product is just something that we are, we all wrestle with in our own ways no matter where we're at you know
0: i mean i think my outcome is you know my my findings are you find a way to get paid yeah. doing something yeah and yeah. then you find a way to make a creative project yeah and if you're fucking lucky it, they, there's a venn diagram there yeah and, yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. some and some days you get to sit in the middle of it yeah and if you don't you know those two circles are, are the two things that fill your life you yeah know, al- along with your other hobbies and your family and friends and things but th- that's how you do it like that's it like the whole because i just couldn't i mean I, I received creative new zealand funding once um I think I've only applied for it twice, mm. and I was thrilled to get it the first time. And the second time, I didn't get it, and I, you know, probably didn't deserve it. And my application was pretty last minute. Um, it was f- it was for this podcast, and I don't know if you get funding for podcasts. And I thought I felt like I made a good case for it, but um, at the same time, I think anyone can do a podcast. So they probably argue it doesn't cost much. Um, and I just sort of thought, that was it, I'm done. I'm never going to do that again. Like, I was lucky to get it the first time. I just need to make this shit myself I just need, and just find a way to make it work.
1: I, th- I think for me, like, one of the things I had to confront and things I learned at art school was this private shame of my student loan mm. and that I'd actually caught every every rung on the way down with it. Yeah. Um, and th- I still have one and I don't own a house. And these are massive shameful things for me that don't impact you in the same way when you're in your 20s. Um, I-, I think, you know, each decade of life, all of the middle Definitely. class accoutrement months become more pronounced depending on what kind of society you're living in so uh, it's hard for, for me conversation about money and art is, is really difficult and yet enmeshed and um, you'd be a fool to say that there's uh, no relationships there. Yeah. like that there, that there isn't an important meeting ground there yet one doesn't necessarily beget the other at any time and even people who've become wildly successful like jk rowling you know i'm sure she wasn't sitting down on the train plotting to um have a, fr- a movie franchise yeah you know yeah yeah like there's uh there's an aspect of of the universe at play that I don't understand and I don't think I ever will um yet I'm at swim in it and uh I know that was one of the most embarrassing things to put in the book but n- now somehow I've confronted it yeah and yeah you it, can
0: move on somewhat like you would
1: yeah like yeah. in a way There's in a, a way it's been yeah. good to to actually come yeah. out loud and say it
0: hopefully it was a a good compliment saying you know you've actually managed a book of essays and a memoir at the same time because i think it plays to the, the strengths of both because yeah. there is a bit of a fucking pandemic of essay books <laughs> yeah, I, know. I mean it's not the most pressing pandemic happening <laughs> no, right now which, which is why it's it's allowed to happen i think yeah. but there is you know and i'm guilty of buying heaps of them and enjoying some of them and then just not even getting to some of them yeah, it's just like, yeah that seems like a good idea but it's too much like it's just too too much of people's Yeah, I mean, there are so many great writers you'll never get to. Yeah, I know. You know, so how do you, you know, how do you...
1: Dealing with the glut of content is something that's hard for all of us. And I can always feel like, oh, I've got to read that one. Oh, I've got to read that one. Oh, I've got to read that one. Whereas actually, if my job is to write, then I actually don't have to read any of them. I just have to write my own one and somehow stumble through it.
0: But do you find, I mean, reading is a necessity for a writer on some yes, level. Is. And you've obviously you know, it isn't just the reading that you do while you're writing. In some cases you're drawing on the reading that you did and this yeah. this is very obvious in your book too. You're actually drawing on the reading you did thirty years ago. Yeah, that's right. Twenty years ago yeah. and so forth. But um, it is a tricky balancing act that yes, isn't it? it? Is. I'm gonna write, but I still need to read something. We but we started, do so much reading on yeah. our yeah. screens and we don't oh, yeah. and we and we if we tallied that up it's know, a lot. It was a real treat to read your book and go I'm actually shutting the internet down and sitting with a book. I'm gonna you know and this is my this is my friend for the next couple of hours. yeah and then I'm gonna have, make a cup of tea and go back to it. And you know I do that a bit obviously I read a lot, but I do have days where I'm like, God, I haven't actually read a, a, a chapter or something in a book for a long time and I miss it. yeah but I'm just you just feel yourself being pulled in all these directions right?
1: Yeah, I think as a writer as a writer who's always convinced that the answer is outside herself. Um you know, I'm always wanting to look at someone else's book thinking that it will give me the key. Yeah. You know, the key to unturn the lock that <laughs> suddenly opens the chamber of gold or you know, treasures unmeasurable or and and sometimes I, I I think really the the key once you're in your 40s probably isn't outside yourself so much as within. But mm. then, I mean, that's also you know I've been toying in my mind with writing the Tao of Megan, like the Tao of Pooh, except I've probably got less to say. You know, there's a whole endemic of of wellness and looking in too mm. that uh, that I have a mixed relationship as well with, and some of some of my earlier um, quibble with self-help comes out in this, like I talk about it in my essay. Sorry, mother, and in different things. And really, there's a little piece in here what I got for my twenty first. And one of the things yeah. I get is my mum gives me a list of everything she learned. And I realised when I went back through this essay collection, oh my god, that's actually the template in a way for this. It's very understated in the book because I, of course, I've lost it. I yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. it anymore.
0: But that's amazing for a bunch of reasons. That that little piece because the two different gifts from the two parents that yeah. have that have been in your life in very different ways. Yeah, yeah. And the one that you are instantly more grateful for because it's the obvious, you know, a cash gift yeah, on your 21st. Yeah, and it's a wonderful Who doesn't... Exactly. Yeah. But who doesn't want... and, and it, I got that and a lot of people I know got that or something yeah. similar. You just get a lump sum of some money that when you're 21 and you go out and you blow yeah, most you of blow it, if not all of it, and... That's great, but yeah, it's it's, it's amazing that because uh, you know, do you you know, do you really think about how great that money was now? No, because it's been and gone.
1: Yeah, what yeah. I feel is sad because that was yeah. a great gift from Dad, and then it's pitted right. it against a list That's of right. things that at the time I found offensive and annoying from a woman who I had little respect for, my mother at the time yes. for. Uh, you know because I'm in that time of life where you're keeling away from your parents you're being typically. your own um, person Yeah, that's right. Yeah. and yes I, I go out like like Jack with his magic beans and mm. throw the $1,000 into the ether um, and now all these years later I'm like God if only I kept that list of things my mother had learned but I only can remember one of them which is if you're doing something and it's not working try something else and I think really in a way that is a template for things I learned at art school and I have a lot of lists in the book oh and this is a gem that came to me recently the first person to publish my creative writing was Justin Patton when he worked at Landfall wow and he published a poem of mine about (laughs) Daryl Hannah as a mermaid (laughs) and um, he published a couple of other little things as well and he wrote me a reference to get into my MA which I did in England Mm. and he said that my writing was deliberately blunt and list-like Fantastic. Um, and I'm like, God still to this day that is probably some of the most penetrating analysis yeah. of what I'm doing that's and ever happened I love
0: I love that book he wrote you know that series that how to look yeah. at his one, the how to look at a painting yes. I thought for you know for a you know I've got no art training as uh, either a practitioner or like art history or anything like that I'm just someone who does like art in the very general mm. vein and I learnt a lot from that book I thought that was really well explained on a really simple, thoughtful level.
1: He's a wonderful yeah. art writer yeah. and I really enjoyed interviewing him about a year ago on his book on Colin McCann yeah. and um, I interviewed him for the New Zealand Festival I think and loads of people wanted to talk to him afterwards, you know yeah. he's a he's a star, Justin but I thought one thing that gets overlooked is the title essay mm. Probably, mm. probably simply for the reason it's probably not the best essay in the book but Things I Learned at Art School was a title I came up with when I I was at the spin-off really it was my title mm. but I was giving it shopping it out to other people and always asking these famous artists what they'd learned at art school as well as a range of other things because I'm very interested in the creative impulse and its origins but I realized it was my title and I needed to own it and so in time I've co-opted it for my own book mm. and thought about what did I learn at art school and so I just thought I could end by mm. saying the first one which uh, is titled titles are important. Well, they are to me. This one is optimistic because it assumes I learned something, anything at all, and at art school, of all places, where I'm quite sure I went to learn nothing and got close. When I think back to art school and what it means, the videotape starts to scrunch in the machine and I open the player and have to carefully unravel the miler. That's the name of the plastic videotapes are composed of. Then I'm back in the edit suite late at night, accompanied only by the hiss and swirl of warm coke, and I'm sure of only one thing, two. Every sentence I write is earning interest dot 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 on my student loan. I was very pleased with myself for getting the word interesting, which is a banned creative writing word. not allowed to use the word interesting (laughs) to a sentence.
0: Um, the book, the book is everywhere, like I've seen it in lots of shops, um, I mean it, we're, we're still in restricted times of course, but your book is in places like, or I say places like, your book is in places like Whitcalls, which is where a very general book reader goes, nothing wrong with that, yeah. but as well as being in, you know, the you know good books and Unity and yeah. all of those places that you would expect would want yeah. a book like this, so... I mean, it's early days, but I hope you get some good sales from it and some good exposure. The reviews have mostly been positive that I've seen. Have have you had any clunkers? Um, I don't
1: think there have been clunkers as such. As a as a reviewer myself, I'm mm. aware of the perils of reviewing, mm. and that reviewers are generally doing their best to speak their truth. However, I've also come to learn that reviews are a playground for backhanded compliments, yes. um, <laughs> and 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 to be and a place to damn with faint praise. Um, you know, we're all full of uh, full of uh, shadows. You know, mm. and uh, reviewers and artists. Alike, and that's what that essay speaks volumes about. That mm. essay that everyone's mm. reading again on the bad yes. art. Friend,
0: yeah, totally. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: So sure. I mean, I read reviews. Hey, that was and,
0: a nice callback.
1: And I don't always. Um, I don't. I don't always uh, agree with them, yeah. but, uh, but I also I also get jolts and recognitions from them, as I do from the people who approach me having read stuff. Yeah, like yeah. someone got in touch with me going, oh my God, I'm sending my friend Things from the essay um, Woman Who Watched a Room with a View Too Much, <laughs> which is a joke on women who love too much, yeah. a self help title, which I just saw in a bin by that um, op oh, shop down like- the end of yeah. your street um, the other day and was almost tempted to buy it. <laughs> so things like that are lovely, but at this point I'm prepared to take the rough with the smooth
0: yeah i just feel like it is it is interesting talking to people who are on both sides of the <laughs> yeah. fence you know i got a review for my book just the other day in landfall and all i could think was fuck i got re-. i mean it was pretty good too but, yeah but I, I didn't give a shit like they, they could have slayed it and it's yeah. still like shit i got a review in landfall that's really good i didn't expect that at yeah all. but it was also a pretty positive encouraging review yeah and It was nice and the person had, you know, the person had read the book and and thought about it and that's really all that... I require, like that's all I try to do when I write a review of a book, is finish the book and have some thoughts about it
1: Most know? reviewers are being as honest as they can mm. with the material and the constraints they have to have right. at that time, yet as we also talked about off air before this mm. it doesn't mean all sorts of other nebulous shadows are at play in the reviewing that's world totally right. as they are in, in, in writing itself mm. At this point I'm just mainly glad to have somehow crossed the gap and be doing doing writing even if I'm gonna be slated for it. Mm. I'm just mainly glad to be getting that stuff out. And that's not that I don't value being a reviewer. I do. But mainly at the moment I'm glad that I've crossed over and I'm doing the work that I need and want to be doing. Mm. Yeah. For better a- or for worse. For richer or <laughs> for
0: poorer. <laughs> Well, we know it's probably going to be for, <laughs> for poor, but that seems like a pretty good place to finish. Yeah, yeah hey, n- a nice chat. Thanks. Thanks.